scripture that's been really heavy on my heart in the last few days has been out of Psalm 107. It's just, I mean, there's many verses in that chapter, but there's one that stands out. And it talks about how that we are redeemed. And being redeemed means that you've been purchased. You've been, there's a, there's a price that's been paid. And we know that's Jesus, right? He is our redemption, right? Jesus redeemed us. When he died on the cross and the blood poured, I mean, even before he got to the cross, the blood was pouring out of him. And what I've come to realize is that only one drop of blood would have redeemed the whole earth. But he chose to bleed out and to leave the magnitude of what his blood means on this planet because it's his blood that redeemed us. So that one line in Psalm 107 is it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So say so. That's what praise and worship is all about. It's about letting the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. Father, thank you so much. Father, thank you so much for giving us your only son. That he is the one. He is the one that is our redemption. And God, we we take hold of that. We grasp that in our hands, in our hearts, and in our minds. That Jesus has paid the ultimate price. And he did that for us. So with that thought in mind, with that thought in mind, that He redeemed us. If you were the last person, or if you were the only person on this earth, God still would have sent His only begotten Son to this earth to die for you. Leave that with all my heart. And I'm thankful that Jesus had the fortitude to die on the cross for us. Because he knew, the Bible says he knew the joy that was set before him, he would endure the cross. The joy was, is watching you receive redemption. Watching me receive redemption. When I was a little kid, and I'll try to say this and then I'll shut up. Not for the day though. Um, when I was a kid, we would go to the grocery store. My mama would go to the grocery store. And when you would check out at the counter, there was this green machine up above the register. And it was called S&H Green Stamps. Does anybody remember S&H Green Stamps? Yeah. I just dated a lot of people. <clears throat> the thing about it is, she, they would give you what you paid uh, in your groceries. They would give you the equivalent in these stamps. And they give you a little book. And this is where my mama would give me all these green stamps that she collected and you would lick them and stick them in that book. And once you had so many books, you could go to the S&H green stamp store and cash those in and get a frying pan or get a set of knives or forks or what I think I got a set of dominoes when I was a kid at the S&H green stamp store. But when you went to the S&H Green Stamp store, it said on the sign, Redemption Center. 
so you could redeem all the stamps. You could, you could exchange all the stamps for whatever you want. Well, if, if you had that many books. I think about that. What is, what is church? It's a redemption center. It's where we can come to Jesus. I mean, we can come to Jesus anytime, but coming to Jesus here is a, is a place where we can do this in safety and in comfort. So that if we can do this here, we can have the boldness to do it out there. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time we have together. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would, that you would just move our hearts today in the things that you have for us. Father, I pray that we would have open hearts and open minds to receive what your spirit wants to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, turn around and tell somebody hello. And then we'll get to it. How's everybody doing? <clears throat> Boy, y'all got quiet real quick, didn't you? All right. Well, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good to see you. I, I just, you know, talking about the SNH green stamps, I, I was just uh, thinking about our neighborhood grocery store that we would go to. And um, I've got a good friend in the house this morning that he and I have been friends since first grade. Now, listen, I ain't going to point him out to you because you'll go and ask him about what I was like as a kid, and, and he'll tell you some of the trouble we got into. So I won't point him out to you. He's back there. <laughs> Dwayne, it's good to have you in the house this morning, brother. I love you, man. He is, he is two days older than me, and... I, I think almost every year since we were kids, we've contacted each other. On I contacted him on his birthday, and I said, "Let me know what, let me know what 53 is like before I turn 53." So, two days. November 21st is his, and November 23rd is mine. So we're we've been close brothers for a long time, and we should. I think our parents shopped at the same store, got the same SNH green stamps. All right. So with that, um, my name is Darren Gleghorn. In case you wasn't here a while ago. And um, I'm the lead pastor at Cowboy Church, and we've got a cool thing going on out in California. Um, we are helping a church out there. We are helping pastor a church out in Merced, California, and it's a, it's, it's a cool thing. Uh, we love them, and they always love it when there's a shout-out to them. So when I say this and welcome them to our service this morning, I want you all to give them a big shout-out, all right? So Merced... Um, California, Kingdom Ranch, Cowboy Church, we want to give you a welcome this morning into our family, so we just give you a big shout out. Thanks for joining us this morning. It's such an honor, such an honor to get to get to serve in this capacity with you guys. We love you so much. All right, let's get into this this morning. Um, just a really quick announcement uh, I had made last week is that I am heading into a surgery on Thursday morning, uh, this coming Thursday morning, September 1st. I'm headed in there. 
We're going to do a um, prayer time here at the church tonight for me. Um, I said, I, I don't like, you know, standing up here and say, let's make it about me. But we're making it about me tonight. And, and, I, and it's not because I'm so special. Part of that is. But, um, but I, I know that when, when God says that we're two or more are gathered together, he is there in the midst I want his presence through who he is in your life, the, the Holy Spirit in your life. I want that, I covet that, to be in agreement that all will go well. Um, it's, I'm not so much praying for me as much as I'm praying for my doctors. Because that's the guy that don't need shaky in his hands, you know. And uh, he, he treats a lot of people with... With this surgery, surgery and um, with the diagnosis of, of Parkinson's and essential tremor, he deals with a lot of that. So he's got good, calm hands. And so we just need him to keep that way. All right. So we're, we're going to do that tonight here. We're going to do prayer tonight here from 5 to 6 p.m. And if you want to come back to the church, we would. I would, I would love, I covet your prayers. And I would love to have that. So with that... We have been doing a series called 316. And of course, um, today is the last, we're, we're going to close the series out. But um, what I have found is that this series has taken us on a journey of, of, of salvation. It's taken us on a journey of being a Christian, what it means to be a Christian and the order of how things fall in order for us to walk out the fullness of our Christianity in the life and the time that we spend here on this earth. Make sense? And, and so we, I, I think it's really cool that we've been able to take this journey. I didn't know it was there that way until we began to get into this. So the, the most famous scripture in, in the Bible or, or even in our culture today is John 3.16. Billy Graham, I remember Billy Graham talking about it when I was a kid. Uh, I remember seeing that dude at the football games with the rainbow afro that held up the sign, John 3.16, in the in the, the field gold section of the football games, basketball games, um, baseball games. I mean, he went to all of them and, and held his sign up, said John 3.16. Um, Tim Tebow is, is very uh, much a part of that in our culture because in 2009, he wrote that under his eye black, playing the national championship game against my Sooners, and he beat them. But he wrote John 3.16 under there, and there were, what did I say, 94 million, I think? 94 million people Googled what, um, what John 3.16 meant at that time. So it is, it is a scripture that is a part of our pop culture, part of our popular culture. And so the, the, the verse, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that, that verse right there is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we, he, God loved us. God loved us so much that he gave. There was a generosity, even though that we weren't, we weren't good enough in ourselves for God to love us that much. To give us his only begotten son. I've said it two weeks in a row now, is that I love you all, but I don't know that I would kill my son for you. And I don't think you would like that either. You, you know, you would do that for me. 
And I, I wouldn't expect it. But I do ask you to come to prayer tonight. <laughs> Anyways, so I've been looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, if, if John 3.16 is so, um, so popular, if John 3.16 is so prominent in our culture, what do the other 3.16s of the Bible, is, is there anything else that is prominent? And, and I've kind of dug some up. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, that uh, what we, well, what, the, you know, the John 3.16s of the Bible, or not the John 3.16s, the 3.16s of the Bible, um, how that fits into our day and time. So the first week we talked about John 16, 3.16, the gospel of salvation is basically what we talked about. And then we also tagged onto that in the first week, Matthew 3.16, which talks about the obedience and the order of water baptism in our life. So once you get saved, we believe that you need to get water baptized. Water baptism doesn't save you, but it solidifies the uh, salvation that you have been given. And in um, last week, in, in week two, uh, we talked about 2 Timothy 3.16 and how the important, it, it is important for us to have a relationship with the Word of God. Our Bible is the Word of God. Would you, would you agree with that? It, how important it is to have the Bible for ourselves, to live in the Bible, obtain from the Bible, because the Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the Word of God. So when you see this book, you are seeing Jesus in book form. And when you read it, you become, you become um, a person of relationship with him. And when it becomes a part of your life, it, that is the transformation of who we are. That is where faith comes from. Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how do we hear? The word of God. When we read the Bible, hear the Bible, um, you know, hear sermons about the Bible or with the Bible in it, you are increasing your faith. Amen? So and you're increasing, increasing your relationship with Jesus Christ. So today, I want to come at this from Luke chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, if you'd go over to Luke chapter 3, we'll get to that in just a minute. But the, the gospel of Luke is written by, the, you know, um, scholars say that it's authored by a man named Luke who Luke was a physician. He was not one of the 12 disciples, but he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was a doctor. He was a physician. And he traveled with the Apostle Paul for many years. And you can read, his name will pop up in, in several of the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament, or his books in the New Testament. So when, <clears throat> when Luke wrote this, not only did Luke write the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And his reasoning behind writing these books <clears throat> is to set in order the events surrounding Jesus and his time on earth. He wanted it to be in order. So at, at the time Luke wrote his gospel, um, scholars say that Mark's gospel had already been written and so he kind of used some of the, the timeline of what Mark had written, but then he was friends with Matthew and John as well, so he pulls all that together. 
Luke is supposed to have the most accurate timeline of Jesus' ministry while he was on earth. So being a physician, I think that he's probably very studious, you know, more studious than those fishermen. You know, those fishermen, I didn't know if they, they even knew how to read, but, you know, Luke went to school. And uh, so he, he's pretty, pretty diligent at what he did. So as we're looking at this here in, in Luke chapter 3, John the, Bapti- John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River. And um, in, in my Bible, there is a subtitle that says, John the Baptist prepares the way. That, that was the subtitle over this section of Scripture that we're going to read. That, that John the Baptist was preparing the way of the Lord to come, the Messiah, to show up. And so as, you know, as John the Baptist preaches these things, he had, he had preacher problems. Every preacher knows about preacher problems. Here's, here's preacher problems. I broke it down into three things. You know, when you become a preacher and people show up to hear you talk, there, you know, there's one group of people that are going to just absolutely love you. I mean, you can do no wrong. Everything you say is right and everything you say is perfect. That's kind of dangerous to get into sometimes, but the fact of the matter, because we're all human, but there's... I mean, the first time we had church, there were people that stayed because they loved us. They loved her. I was just the package deal. So, so you know, you have those people, you have one group of people that really love you. Then you have another group of people that are just inquisitive about what you're doing. They come in, listen to what you're doing, and they leave. And they don't stick around for very long. They just kind of inquisitive. They're going to jump to the next church that comes along or the next cool preacher that comes along. And, and so they're just inquisitive about what you're doing. So John had these. He had people that loved him. He had people that were inquisitive. And then he had people that did not like him. And, and you know, when you become a preacher and you begin to preach what you believe and impart those things that you believe, there, there are people that come out of the woodwork that, are criticizing who you are. They criticize your doctrine. They criticize what you do. They, they criticize about how you raise your family. I mean, it, it's just, just nasty people. And so John had these people in that same place. Pharisees were coming out to, to, to look at what they, religious people were looking at what he was doing, and they kind of just, bah, you, you know, I, you ain't doing things right. Who are you? eating locusts and wild honey and dressing in camel hair. You know, who are you? Dunking people in the water. And so <clears throat> these people were all around uh, John the Baptist when he was doing that. But the people that he was baptizing, um, this talks about three different types of people that he's baptizing. He's talking about normal, regular people. And then he was talking about tax collectors, who the tax collectors were hated during that time, and soldiers were coming. They're mentioned in this group of scriptures. And so all these people are saying, okay, you've baptized us this way. And so what do, they would ask the question, what do we do now? You've dunked us, brought us up. What do we do now? And, and John would say, you know, I'm glad you asked that question because his boldness began in that moment. His boldness 
began to come out and he responded to them of, to the question of what they should be doing or what they do now with this new sound, salvation. And they were shocked at what he said for them to do, how he answered the question. They were shocked. So shocked that they thought maybe John the Baptist is the Messiah. Maybe he's the salvation of the earth. And, and that, you know, that's a normal reaction from people, man. If, if you have touched my life that deep, maybe, maybe you're the answer to everything. And so let's, let's look here at John 3, um, Luke 3.16. And I, I want to show you this. <clears throat> this is from the New King James. And it says this, in, in Luke 3.16, it says, John answered, John the Baptist answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It goes on in verse 17, his winnowing fan is in is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor, his threshing floor, and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable, unquench, unquenchable, unquenchable. My oaky will get straight here in a minute. <laughs> and with, uh, with unquenchable fire and with many other ex- exhortations, he preached to the people. He said, he said, you know, I'm doing this baptism in water. That don't make me the Messiah. But the Messiah is the one that is mightier than I that is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He said he's going to do it. This Messiah is going to do it. At this point, Jesus hasn't rolled up on them yet. But here he comes, rolling up on them that, that very moment. Here comes Jesus, and he's wanting to be baptized. So that takes us back to the first week. If you want to know what that's all about, go, go listen to the first week that I preached this. And, and so um, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water. What is that baptism that he is baptizing with water? If you go back to John 3.3, 3, and you don't, you don't have to go over there. I'm, I'm just going to tell you that he, John the Baptist, called it the baptism of repentance. The baptism of repentance. What does repentance mean? In its simplest form, repentance means a change of mind. It's a a change of mind. It is a change to your consciousness, the way you think, the way that you react, the way that, that, that you have emotions or connect to your emotions is, is in your mind. So we've got to have a change of mind or a change of consciousness. That's what baptism did. That's what water baptism does. Can I get an amen? amen. It changes our mind and our conscience. Now, we, we've heard people, and this is a dangerous saying at times, is that people will say, you just need to have an open mind. People say to Christians all the time, you're so stuck on this Jesus thing, you need to have an open mind. I have opened my mind. That's the reason I'm stuck on this Jesus thing. <laughs> that, I mean, we've repented. I, I've repented. 
almost every day I repent for something, you know, something goofy that I do in this fleshly body. And, and so, um, so that's what uh, John the Baptist was seeing here. He, it was a baptism of repentance. What repentance does, it gives us the ability to see from a different perspective. See, before we come to Jesus and before we're baptized and all that kind of stuff, we see in one general direction. But for us, when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, it should, um, it should check who we are on the inside of our heart and on the inside of our mind so that we can begin to change the direction of our lives. Because our direction needs to go God's direction, Jesus' direction, the Word of God's direction, right? And so we, we do need to open our mind from that perspective so that we can have a divine revelation toward God and toward His Word so that we can walk our life in what He wants us to walk. Amen? And so there's, when we change our mind, there is a mental and emotional power that connects spirit ideas and concepts to one's physical abilities within our changed life. Water baptism. I mean, you don't get saved and just end up in a tank of water. You have to have your mind open to that next step. What this tank of water, what this river, what this dunking is going to look like. Amen? So, so we've got to be open to these spiritual ideas and concepts, but our physical body has to be put in that physical water and taken through the steps of symbolism in our spiritual life. What happens is repentance drives us to be set apart. When you get in that tank of water and go under, you come up in a different place spiritually. Because that's where God opened the heavens for Jesus and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This became the identity of Jesus. He knew his father now. He knew his father intimately. And that's what happens to us. It drives us to a, a life that is set, being set apart. We're set apart from the world. We're set apart from the world's way of doing things. We're set apart to what would try to, be, uh, to, to cause us to walk in our old ways and be set apart to walk in His ways. Does that make sense? You are different. When you get baptized, you are different than what you were before. You know it and you feel it. You know, some preachers will say, you know, you don't even talk about your feelings. Feelings have nothing to do. Yes, they do. God gave us feelings. They, we just don't need to be led by our feelings. It's okay to, to feel, but to lead by our feelings is not a good plan. He said that my children will be led by the Spirit. And so we, we are led by the Spirit, but it definitely affects our feelings. <clears throat> when, when you are set apart... Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that we are the temple of God. This body becomes the temple of God. 
So I want to I want to click over into that just a little bit. If you if you would go over to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles. It's over in the Old Testament, it's after First and Second Kings, and Second um, Chronicles follows First Chronicles. So if you can find First Chronicles, know that it's right behind it. Um, just flip a few pages over. So Second Chronicles chapter seven. And, and here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, King Solomon is beginning to build God's temple. God had been living in a tent for many years. Now Solomon, King Solomon, David's son, King David's son, is going to build the temple of God. And what I want you to see is that, you know, as he builds the, God's temple in the Old Testament for a place for God to live... It is built, the, 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 the temple that Solomon built was built by the hands of man. God didn't just erect a temple and say, okay, here's my temple. I set it down on earth and now you don't have to do nothing but enter in. No, the, the, the people, the men and women built the temple according to God's blueprint. They built the temple and made it look beautiful. It was, it was known as one of the beautiful, most beautiful buildings of all time. Now, we don't get to see that. Now, we get to see models of it, but we don't get to see the real thing because it's been torn down um, a couple of times. And so as, as, as mankind, as humanity built the temple of God, the blueprints called for everything that is natural. Bricks or or marble, uh, gold, silver, bronze, water, dirt—all that stuff is of this earth. They built with earthly things, right? They they, they built that with with um, earthly resources, and the blueprints called for everything to be taken from the earth to build God's temple. And when when they were finished with the temple. When they got done, where they hammered the last nail, they put the last bit of caulk in the, t- in the, in the tiles that are on the floor. When, when they finished that building, it was, a, it was a beautiful building. It was beautiful. All the gold and the, and the bronze and the copper and the silver, all that stuff just stood out. And most people thought that building was so perfect. But even though it was beautiful, it was not perfect yet. Now, with that in mind, I spent 14 years of my life in church when I was a kid. From three years old to 17 years old, I spent 14 years as a born-again, baptized, Sunday school-going, church-going, revival-attending Christian as a kid. And, and I remember at 17 years old asking the question, is this all there is? I've been doing this for 14 years, week after week after week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Revival all week long for one, one time out of the year. Cantatas, Christmas cantatas and choirs and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> 14 years. And I, and I asked the question to myself, you know, is that all there is? I mean, I'm, I'm coming to church every time the doors open. I'm giving in the offering. Uh, you know, 
is this the way it's going to be until I die? And I think a lot of people walk their Christianity that way. You know, they got their fire insurance. They asked God, Jesus, come into their life, and now they're not going to hell, so they got their fire insurance, and that's what they want to do with the rest of their life. It's just know you're insured. But I was asking that question never knowing that I was the temple of God. I don't know that I ever heard that until I came back to the Lord, that I was the temple of God, that human beings are the temple of God. You're the temple of God. <clears throat> so let's, let's look at this, Second Chronicles. I need to get over there. Second Chronicles. Oh, no. All right, there we go. Second Chronicles chapter 7. I love, I love this, this story here. Verse 1 says, When Solomon had finished praying... Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good and his mercies endure forever. The building was beautiful. The temple of God was finished and it was beautiful. For 14 years, I was, I was me, and I was beautiful. <laughs> but there needed to be more that I never knew about. Solomon's temple, before the Lord came, was the same as you and I giving our lives to God and becoming the temple. But is that all there is? Is that all there is? See, we we have a a water-baptized Christian has a likeness to Solomon's temple here in uh, 2 Chronicles. It has a lot in common. The natural beauty, that is what it's what a man can build, and, and it's beautiful, but when God's presence comes with fire, it becomes a wonder. It's not just beautiful, it is a wonder. They said that Solomon's temple was the the most wonderful thing. You know, you hear the the seven wonders of the world or whatever. Uh, Back then, it was the most wonderful building. Uh, The queen of Sheba came in and she said, well, I've never seen anything like this before how elaborate the looks are, but God's presence is here. So if the Bible says that we're the temple of God, he wants his presence and fire to fall upon us, to allow the the fire of God to come, to allow the baptism of the Spirit to come. Being baptized, being immersed into his Spirit and letting it fill us to overflowing. I used to, when I would talk about this, I used to get a, gla- a glass and a, and a water 
uh, jug and you would turn that glass upside down and push it into that water, you know, it'd hold the air in, in, in between the water and the glass, right? Until you turned it over under there and everything poured in to overflowing. That's what the baptism of the Spirit is. That's what John the Baptist was talking about when he says, you know, I'll, I'll get you with water. But there's one coming after me that is going to get you with the Spirit and fire. The glory of God and the fire of God. Amen? <clears throat> when the presence of God came upon the temple, Solomon's temple, it brought the glory of God to the point to where it drove everybody out. Nobody could go in there. It was so awesome. And they would fell on their faces. I love it. It says they fell down with their faces on the pavement. They, they were overwhelmed with the presence of God on the temple. And that's the way God wants us to be. We are the temple. Amen? We are the temple. And he wants us to fill up with that. What John the Baptist was talking about is he was saying, you know, there, there is one who will baptize. I'm baptizing you with water. There's one that's coming that is going to baptize you with the Spirit and fire. So from that moment that John said that, fast forward 33 and a half years. I'm, I'm sorry, three and a half years. Three and a half years. Fast forward three and a half years. Jesus has now died on the cross at that, at that time. And he has been resurrected from the dead. And he has shown up. He has shown up to his disciples. He walked with them for 40 days after the resurrection in his glorified body. I mean, walking through walls, walking through doors, yet eating with them. You know, how do you walk through a door and then go sit down at a table and eat without the food just falling on the floor? You know, he wasn't Casper the friendly ghost. He was, he was walking in the, the, the mystic place of of who he was. So, so mind blowing to us, but to him, Hey, this is, this is heaven. So he gathers up his disciples and Luke, once again, Luke is writing this. Luke is wanting everybody to know what Jesus is doing in this time. So I want to put together these scriptures and we're just going to go through these. If you would go back over to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. Jesus is gathered with his disciples and, and he is talking to them before he ascends into heaven. I don't know if you've read that story. It's, it's at the end of, of Luke and the first of Acts that Jesus talks to his disciples and then while he's talking, all of a sudden he starts and he goes up into the clouds and he goes, goes into heaven and said, you know, the, the Bible says that he sat down at the right hand of the father at that point. But he is, he is talking to them before his ascension, after his resurrection, before his ascension into heaven. And he tells the 11, because Judas has killed himself, so there's only 11 disciples at this point. And he gathers them up, and he says this, Luke chapter 24, verse 49. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Jesus is saying to them, And now I will send, and now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city of Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from on high. 
from heaven. He said, stay here because it's coming. Everything that the Father promised you, it's coming. This promise is coming. <clears throat> Go on over to Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says this. And it's still Jesus talking during that moment. He says, once, he, uh, once when he was eating with them, with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift of, that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Got that? Let's keep on down to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. Without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without that receiving the Holy Spirit, we would never know in this part of the world about Jesus. Because he said, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Did you know that northern Colorado is the utter parts of the earth? I mean, we have some of the biggest dairies and feedlots. It's the utter <laughs> most part. That just came to me. That was, man. Whew. All right, y'all are dismissed. <laughs> Mom always tells me to end on a high note, so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I got I got to move Acts chapter 2. So he he tell them to wait for the spirit to be poured out. Now Acts chapter 2 carries this verses 1 through 4. It says on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after um after uh, Passover, so past Jesus was the Passover, his his death was on Passover, and now it's the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as Holy Spirit gave his ability. I love that. The very thing that Jesus promised and that John the Baptist promised is that there was one coming and he's going to release the power of being baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's going to do that. This is where it happened. Acts chapter 2 is where it happened on that day of Pentecost. See, just as God's glory and fire fell in First Chronicle, or Second Chronicles 7 on the temple, just as His glory fell on the temple and made it a wonder, we are the temple of God and He wants to pour His presence on us and in us to overflowing to where all of our humanity, the way that we think, the way that we do things, has to bow to, on the pavement to the glory of God on the inside of us. Amen. That's what it's all about. Because why? Because you are the temple of God. First Corinthians three sixteen. 
do you not know? For 14 years, I did not know. But it's when I came back to the Lord. As a matter of fact, the denomination I grew up in said that being baptized in the, in the Spirit was passed away and that, that that's not for you anymore. As a matter of fact, if you speak in other languages based upon the, um, what the Spirit does on the inside of you, that that's, that's of the devil. It's of the devil. I'm like, all right. That's what I was taught. So when I got saved again, I went to a charismatic church. And it blew all that out of the water. Because I remember the Wednesday night that the preacher got done. And he says, if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, would you raise your hand? I'm like. And so that night I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit released things on the inside of me. And I know that he releases things on the inside of every one of us. There's things that need to be released from God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, just, just as Adam and Eve lost in, in the garden when they, when they sinned, just as Adam and Eve lost the presence, the power, and the glory of God, I mean, when his glory and presence and power left them in sin, they saw that they were naked. Their temple was uncovered. It's the same Jesus that baptizes us with the Holy Spirit that restores the presence, the power, and the glory of God. Because it's His baptism. It's Jesus' baptism. It's Jesus' baptism. As water baptism for us is imperative and intentional. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is no different. It is, it is imperative. I mean, and I say that with all uh, understanding that if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you ain't going to hell. I mean, it's not a salvation issue, but it's a glory issue. It's a power issue. And so, um, you know, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire that Jesus carried, it, it gives Christian, it gives us Christians purpose to live above this world that we walk in. We live above that. And, and I'm not saying that we look down our nose at the world, but where we're walking, God, His presence is on us and in us when we have intentionally receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So th- this, is, this is according to what Luke wrote here in, in Luke and in Acts. There are, there's four things here that I just want to tell you real quick. There's four pieces of what he said, what he wrote that Jesus said. First one is it's a promise. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire is a promise. It's the promise uh, that the Old Testament leaders and prophets talked about. You know, the Old Testament leaders and prophets experienced moments of the Holy Spirit. You read the Old Testament, they say the Spirit came upon them and then departed. He's back and forth. They didn't have the capacity at that moment, at that time, to house the Holy Spirit for very long because the blood of Jesus gives us the ability to grasp it and hold on to it. Amen? So 
God promised them. That was God's promise to mankind. In Ezekiel, it talks three times, three times in Ezekiel, that he wants to put a new spirit in us. So it was the promise that God had promised with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Second thing that, that Luke says, it is a gift. It's not only a promise, but it is a gift. So when I say that, not, not only does the baptism of the Holy Spirit release the nine gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, talks about the nine gifts of the Spirit that is released when we are filled with the baptism of the Spirit. It releases those. Those are, those are gifts that we give out. You got me? You can go read those things, but those are gifts that are given out. We become generous in those things that God has empowered us with. But the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is also a gift that is given to us for us. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, it, it says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowers us uh, with our own unique prayer language. We don't know what that language is. We can't understand that. I'd love to talk more about that, but I'm not going to today. But it, it gives us the ability that when we pray in our private prayer language, the Bible says it edifies us. It builds us up. You, you want to charge your battery? Get filled with the Holy Spirit. You know? Oh, man, I'm just, you know, is that all there is to this Christian walk? Get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now you have a plug-in and a battery charger. You know? I mean, you set your car long enough and not start it, the battery's going to run down. That's the way we are without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're just parked in a garage somewhere. But you need a charger. Amen. You need a jump start. So that's, it's, it's a gift. The, the next thing he says, he says, you will be witnesses. You will be witnesses. He didn't say you're going to go do witnessing. He said you're going to be witnesses. So as you are a witness, you are a testimony. And when you walk in this world, it's not about you walking up to somebody and saying, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? If not, you're going to hell. It's not about that. It's about, hey, this is what Jesus did to me. Or somebody say, how come you're so different? Let me tell you. And you become a testimony of who Jesus is in your life. Amen? Last one, fourth one, is it'll give you power. It'll give you power. The word power here comes from the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. There is power. My dad, at 4th of July, used to buy these quarter sticks of dynamite. They were called M80s, but they were built by a demolitions expert in Vietnam, so he knew how to make it powerful. Little old bitty firecracker, dad would light them and throw them out in the yard. Boom, they'd make a a divot in the, in the grass, you know, a hole and all the worms were flying through there. You know? What I liked about that is I didn't have to mow there, you know, because it was gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I put them all over that. But there's that power. It gives us an explosive power on the inside of us because that's where miracles reside. Amen. The Apostle Paul said, I would rather preach with demonstration than words the demonstration of the power in what God gives us. So with that in mind, Luke 3.16, 
Luke is writing here and he's saying when, when John the Baptist spoke about the one that's coming, the Messiah, Jesus coming, he didn't see that it was religion. He says he's not bringing religion. He's not bringing religion. He's not bringing something that don't have any power. What he's bringing, John the Baptist saw that he was bringing a revolution, a transformation, and a radical alteration of what we were living, what they were living in at that moment before we received the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, it is, it is a revolution. It is a transformation. It is a radical alteration. John the Baptist saw it on people that had the gifts or that had the guts to take their Christianity to the next level. That's what baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's somebody having the guts to take their Christianity to the next level. So the people were asking there in Luke, they were asking, what do we do now? What do we do now? As I asked that question before I came to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what do I do now? How do I make my continuation of being a Christian better and more powerful? It was to present myself to God while that lady in the room prayed with me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that changed and altered, radically altered my life. Amen? And he'll radically alter your life as well. So here's what I want to say. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today I want you to understand that he, that he, Jesus, went to the cross for you. He died on that cross for you. His blood poured out of his body so that you could be born again, so that you could change your spiritual address when you die. Because you ain't living here forever. There's going to be a time that you go, and I want to go to the right driveway, you know? I want to go to the right gates. And so in that, if you never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I would encourage you, say yes to him today. Say yes to him today. But here's my last call. If your Christianity needs to be boosted, you've never asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've never placed yourself in that place of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. If you've never done that, and you would like to do that, would you stand on your feet? Anybody like that? Amen. Amen. Second thing I want to ask, if you are a Christian and you have received it, but you feel kind of dry right now and you don't know, you, you want to refire, you know, when, you're, when your steak's not right, they send it to the refire, right? I watch enough Gordon Ramsay to know that. If you need to refire your baptized Holy Spirit self, would you stand up? Every, you know, those, those two calls, everybody who's on that. Stand up for that. Now, so many times we call people to come up front and all that kind of stuff, and we lay hands on you to receive that. I I believe that just your intentionality of saying, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit today, just your intention of standing up tells me that God, you you want God to do business with you. So I'm going to pray for you, and I I want you to receive. Put your hands out like you're receiving something, like you're receiving a gift, because this is a gift. This is a gift and a promise. So I want to pray this over you. And you receive like you're receiving a gift. You receive. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person who has intentionally stood up and said, I need a boost. I need a reboot. I need a refire. God, I pray right now that as you said that that on the day of Pentecost, as you gave us the Holy Ghost to spread as tongues of fire over each and every one of us, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, fire come. Fire come. Fire come. In Jesus' name. Now, it's like that glass is being turned over. And the water is pouring in. The Holy Spirit is pouring in. Thank you, Father. Some of you are going to hear some things in your head. You're going to hear a language come up in your head. And and you need to begin to speak that out. You don't have to speak it out loud if you don't want to. Just begin to do it under your breath. That is that special prayer language that has been given to you that that should build you up in your most holy faith. Thank you, Father. More, God. More fire. More fire, more filling, God, more, more, more. In Jesus' name. Do you receive that this morning? Amen. All right. Well, you can be seated for just a second. Bailey's going to come on up. Bailey, come on up. Guys, thank you for coming during this series. I hope it ministered to you. I hope it gave you some good things to to bounce off of and, and move forward in your Christian walk. I love you guys. I'll turn it over to you.